My Bible's open to John 3.16. I trust yours is as well. This is installment number four of what we've looked at this Advent season. There's hardly a place in the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached where John 3.16 really hasn't been a front runner um, of cherished biblical promises of believers past and present far and wide. It is often the first verse new believers memorize. Millions of people have been introduced to the Bible through this glorious sum of the gospel. And maybe the Bible is kind of a, maybe an intimidating book or a foreign book to you. Let me hold up to you a great sum of why it was written. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This Advent season, we've outlined John 3.16 around four Ps. One more time. The problem is where we began way back in November. (laughs) Uh, We're in danger of perishing. No, not me. No, everyone. That is the message of the Bible. That humanity is under a judgment. That's awful negative, isn't it? Well, it's negative only if you deny reality. It's life-giving if you embrace it to see, praise be to God, he has not been silent. That there is a perishing to avoid. We're in danger of perishing apart from this work of Christ so eloquently presented in John 3.16. There's a perishing that is real. Well, what can reverse the tide of that? There's a power. Not in ourselves, not in self-determination, The power comes through God's love, that God demonstrated his love in this way, that while we were yet sinners perishing, Christ died for us. He came to redeem us, and his love motivated the ultimate mission trip of Jesus coming from heaven to earth. And then the portal, the door, how do I get that wonderful gift of eternal life into the mess of my heart and life? And I think that's an important step in discerning, you know, openness to spiritual truth. Have you come to the end of yourself? There won't be many YouTube clicks on that uh, video, but that really is important in gauging our our spiritual health and life with regard to the claims of the gospel. Because in order to receive this gift, I really have to come to the end of myself. I'm not a commandment keeper, I'm a commandment breaker. I, I don't even meet my own expectations, let alone God's requirements. And so what's the door? How, how do I receive what only God can give to me? And the answer to that is by faith. I must believe. I be, must believe who Jesus is. I must believe in what he has done. And I must receive him as the treasure of my life. And then this morning, we're gonna set our attention on something so powerful and that's the purpose of it all and that is that this work of God is yes received by faith but this life is meant to be abundant and everlasting I'm wanting you to see this morning why we point people who are beginning to read the Bible to the gospel of John or even open to read the Bible to the gospel of John as it speaks of eternal abundant everlasting life in Jesus Christ Is there really an eternity? 
Whom should I go to? Uh, whom, whom shall I consult to get the details? How does this affect the way I live? Does it really matter? I was always told that when you die, you die. That's it. Is the salvation of my soul really important? Is it possible? The Humanist Manifesto reads, no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. And that seems to be the human credo of the ages. But God says, I've so loved the world. I've loved in this way that I have sent my son. You need to deal with the claims of that. So I would like to talk with you this morning about eternal life. And I think it's the most uh, relevant subject we can talk about is living our days in this world in light of eternity. Um, God has set eternity in our hearts, the book of Ecclesiastes says. And I would like to uh, present several um, points to this. The first would be, there's only one source of eternal life, Jesus Christ. Who, Who would I consult in this pursuit of salvation, eternity, is there life beyond the grave? There's so many opinions, Pastor. Why are you making, a, making an exclusive claim to that? Well, because I have found no one more reliable than Jesus Christ. And he is the source for eternal life. We have identified in our study of John 3.16 that the larger picture of the gospel of John is a call for you to believe. John, the apostle, the evangelist, writes the Gospel of John not for a neutral outcome. He writes so that you would believe. And he says as much in chapter 20. These things I write to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So it's written to call you to believe, to step over the line, to come to the end of yourself and to say, my efforts to hold it together have fallen through so many times. What hope do I have? And that that is in Christ. Every miracle, every teaching, every detail of uh, Jesus' time with the disciples, every promise that came from his lips is presented in order to arrest you and to reveal to you your spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ. The entirety of the Gospel of John is a message from an evangelist calling you to believe. Are you a believer in Jesus? Have you received the gift of eternal life? It is the message of the ages. I was thinking, and there's a temptation that comes to pastors. Just doing the numbers, we celebrate Advent around here and have for years. We believe in preparing for his birth and preaching the Gospel in the Christmas season. After all, uh, the angel said to Mary and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. I began to do the numbers on that. You know, I've been a pastor for a little while and there are four Advent messages every year. And then Christmas Eve, that's five, where you're talking about Christmas and the temptation that comes to many pastors is, well, this is the season to be clever. (laughs) clever. Um, And so we begin to reach for things that, well, you know, I I tell the same thing every year. Uh, The the joke has often been made about the the guy who came to church on Easter and Christmas, 
And every year at Easter, he heard about the resurrection. And every year at Christmas, he heard about the birth of Jesus. And he said to the pastor on the way out, man, you guys are in a rut. (laughs) And I said in my preparation for this morning, just in the final moments, Lord, I don't want to be novel. I want to be faithful of, of what's true today and will be true for the rest of our lives and for years to come. And will be especially true and most relevant for you on that day you breathe your last in this world. The Bible says you will spend eternity in one of two places, only two. Where am I going when I die? Can I even know the answer to that question? I'm wanting you to cast the anchor of your soul on the promises of what God has said through his son and believe on him today and be transported, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son whose dominion and reign will be forever and ever and ever and is even now, but one day will be sight. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came, that's Christmas, <laughs> I came that they, may, they might have life and that they might have it abundantly to the full. So maybe you're among the crowd who thinks, wow, if I give my life to Jesus, it's all these all-night prayer meetings and endless preaching sermons and this drudgery of a church life. Banish those thoughts. The life that Christ has given to us is abundant life and full life and blessed life and a clear conscience before God and man and, 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 a, and a real genuine call that has a purpose in your life. Oh, come to him that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Come to him that your sins might be forgiven and to have the fullness and to have it forever. So eternal life is Christ's aim at Christmas. I pointed out last week that the Gospel of John was written that you would believe, and I mentioned it even this morning, savingly, trustingly, uh, treasuring Jesus Christ, and rightfully so. He's the master over all things. He's sovereign over all things, and John writes in that way. That's when he records the first miracle of Jesus and turning water into wine. It shows that he's in charge over nature, for wine to form. He walks on water for the purpose of comforting his frightening disciples. He's, he's master over nature. He's master over distance and, and space. He could heal the nobleman's son from a distance of 20 miles. He's master over time. It mattered not that the man was at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years and Jesus said to him, rise and walk. And he did. He's master over time. He's master over quantity and size. It mattered not the size of the multitude. He fed them all with leftovers. He's master over suffering. The man born blind, congenitally born blind, he healed him and he saw and he believed. He's master over life and death. He brought Lazarus back from the grave. He's master over salvation. Through God's Spirit working in this world, He's drawing men and women to Himself through the preaching of the Gospel. The Gospel of John is also a book that speaks about eternal masters, about matters, eternal matters, believing in eternity. Everlasting life, eternal life, and everlasting death. And both realities hinge on what one does with the message of Christ. 
Now, we have our Bibles open to John, and I want to just highlight, to illustrate and to make the point, this emphasis of eternal life. Look at John 3.15, that's close enough, isn't it? He's talking about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness that Jesus refers to as a picture of how he would be lifted up on the cross. And then he says in verse 15 that whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. Look at John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. If we turn the page or maybe look across the page at John 4, 14, this is Jesus' conversation with a woman at the well. He said to her, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Look at chapter 5, John 5. 39, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, he says, you, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Look at John 6, which is a treasure trove of statements, beginning of verse 40. John 6, 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, looking on the Son, that means taking Him in, considering Him deeply, everyone who looks on the Son, His claims, His promises, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His promises of coming again, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, trusting Him personally, resting on His promises, saying in your heart of hearts and with your mouth, Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me, lawbreaker and sinner that I am. So everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have what? Eternal life. Verse 47, this is one of my favorites. It's just so succinct. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. <laughs> you think, oh, wow, this is a call to cannibalism. No, that's not what it's talking about at all. In fact, many would walk away for that reason. They just bolted. After hearing that, it's like, no, this means taking him in at the deepest level. Has eternal life. Look at verse 68 of John 6. Peter answered him. What did he answer? Well, Jesus had said, will you also go away? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, this is Peter who had left the fishing nets, had left his vocation, uh, had um, um, left everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, are you going to go away too? And what does Peter say? What do you mean, go away? Where's there to go, Lord? You're the defining force and person in our life. 
Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's, there's life in no one else. You have the words of eternal life. John 17, and we'll stop there. But you getting the, you getting the, the theme here? Why John is writing, what he wants you to do, namely to believe, what's at stake, eternal life or eternal death. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is moments before he would be arrested and taken into the crucifixion, being beaten and mistreated and ultimately crucified. John 17, verse 2, since he's, Jesus praying to the Father, since you have given him, the Son of God, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then he defines eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you believe in that way? As you face your appointment with death, which will come. I've referenced before having conversations with people through the years. I'm not going to die. Someone actually told me that. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm not gonna, you're going to die, I would say, gently. You're going to die. You have an appointment with death. I'm not going to die. Guess what? He died. And I preached his funeral. And you can verify, he really did die. And he was buried. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice with me secondly. Eternal life is received as a gift by faith based upon the word of God. Not dreams, not a fictitious story about how you'd like everything to end. No, saving faith is, is a gift of God based upon what he has said and the terms he's given. So in John 10, 10, I've referenced this once, I'll do it again. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came that we might have abundant life, life reconciled to God, reconciled to live in the way he's called us to live, have it in fullness and have it forever. So eternal life is Christ's aim at Christmas. It is in Christ we have eternal life. Eternal life that comes from the Son of God is God's life to us. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, I'm, I'm alive and I'm, I'm breathing. I'm, you know, I'm living. I got plans this afternoon. I got plans for my life. What do you mean? There's another life other than what I'm living? Yes. Yes, there is. Eternal life that comes from the Son of God. This eternal life is a personal relationship with Him. God the Father and God the Son brought together by the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. I thought of what, is, what does it mean to have a relationship with God in this way? I thought of the, uh, the great modern hymn, In Christ Alone, For I am His and He is mine, bought with the precious blood, of Christ. Eternal life is a gift. It's undeserved. It's undeserved by us who are ungrateful and dishonoring to the God who created us. It's a supernatural 
gift of life. Eternal life is not something we can produce on our own through self-help and other other programs. It's a it's supernatural in work, and it's interesting. John three sixteen, uh, it says, "For God so loved the world." Is the same chapter where Jesus has the conversation with Nicodemus, and he says, "Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven." In Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. And eternal life brings the light of personal knowledge to our heart, to where what used to be so disinteresting to us now becomes the treasure of our life. And it's a relationship that begins now. We know him and live with him and have fellowship with him now. Thirdly, God draws sinners through the invitation of his word. Why do we emphasize preaching at this church? Why do we challenge one another to share our faith in the interactions of our life is because that's the means that God has designed to bring salvation to the lost. That is what reached us at some moment where a coworker or a family member reached out to us. Eternal life comes to us through the word of Christ. God draws sinners through the invitations of his word. Peter said again in John 6, 68, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The life of Christ is, is, is given to the world through his word. You know, that I, I thought about the picture in creation in Genesis 1. That God spoke and what happened? Things, ha- things were created. Things came into being. Uh, God's word always creates God's people. When you think of the power of the scripture, the power of the word of God, God's word always creates God's people. It was God's word that came to Abraham and said, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees and I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. It was God's word that called Israel into being as God spoke to Moses and delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage. It was God's word that came to you in salvation. Whether it was the Roman road or John 3.16, I remember hearing R.C. Sproul share that he was saved out of some verse in Ecclesiastes. He's probably, he, probably, he said, I'm probably the only person in the history of the Christian church saved from that verse. God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm just convinced as it is preached that the Lord uses his word and he walks among this lampstand or in the conversation you have over lunch and through his word and through the invitations of his word, conviction of sin comes and change of heart comes and brokenness over sin and separation from God comes and the call to repent and believe flows so beautifully in the power of God. But our job is what? To proclaim the message to proclaim it faithfully, and God draws sinners in that way. Notice fourthly, believing in Jesus means you have eternal life as a present possession, and it is uninterrupted at death. So all this talk about eternal life, maybe you're thinking, that's something down the road, that's something later. That is not how it's presented in the Bible. 
Eternal life is a present possession, which begins when? When, you, when you're born again, when you enter into God's forever family. And I think of all the pictures of redemption in the scripture. Kenny Tynes mentioned one this morning. Did you pick up on it? I was adopted into God's forever family. That's a beautiful picture of God's redeeming work. We are born again by the Spirit. We're converted as we repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, full picture of God's dealing uh, and bringing us into his family. Believing in Jesus means you have eternal life as a present possession right now. So if you are a believer in him, you have the gift of eternal life. That's not bragging on, your, on yourself. That's stating what is true of you and every believer. We are possessors of eternal life right now. And it is not interrupted at death. So in a very real sense, whenever we gather for a funeral and the casket is before us, it is right for us to say our dearly beloved brother or sister is not there. To be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord and death becomes the portal by which we enter into the presence of God. David alluded to that in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All the dangers he, he faced. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And believing on him, we have eternal life now. Think of that tonight when you go to bed and you place your head on the pillow. I am his. And he is mine. It's not interrupted at death. Notice with me fifthly, and we'll close here. Eternal life anticipates a resurrection hope. Uh, I want to just say we've had a lot of movement going on here this morning, potty breaks or whatever. I understand how that works. I'm just going to ask maybe for the next 10 minutes if we could just stay seated because I want to end on something very important. And so um, let's do that if we could. Eternal life anticipates a resurrection hope. Jesus uh, says in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even though he dies. He said in John 6:40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. So eternal life is a present possession and lasts how long? Forever. It's popular to deny that there's life beyond the grave. I had one man say to me, all oh, you preachers, you got it wrong. You, nobody knows what you're talking about. And I can understand that on the human level, making a boast that on a message you invented. But I, I didn't invent this. This is really standing on, on the promises of Christ. And it matters. It matters in, in the church. Where are we going? What is our destiny? It's a controversial statement. 
I was drawn years ago to this scene in Sesame Street. I'm not a regular viewer. <laughs> but it really, it caught the news in that in 1982, um, Will Lee, the man who played Mr. Cooper, uh, the, old, the older man, died. And uh, in 1982, the producers and the writers were really struggling with how are we going to present this to the kids, to the 10 million children who watched Sesame Street. And a child psychiatrist was consulted, and they, they said, you know, don't say that he got sick because children get sick and they're not, you know, they're not going to die. Uh, then they they said, I wouldn't say that Mr. Cooper got old and died because children have parents and they're getting older. And um, the Sesame Street staff got together and decided to avoid religious issues. We're not going to say Mr. Cooper, or Mr. Hooper rather, went to heaven. They decided to say that he's gone. He won't come back. He will never come back. He will be missed. And I watched the video clip this morning. And yeah, there's a lot of shared memories that are part of the richness of the human family. People without Jesus Christ have rich relationships. There was sorrow. We have good memories. But he's not coming back. And they said to Big Bird, he's never coming back. He'll be missed. And so... I thought, how hopeless, how futile, apart from Jesus Christ, there's a resurrection hope. I'm the resurrection and the life. You believe in me, you'll live even though you die. And I'm coming back. And I will receive those who believe and trust me. I will receive my own. Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Heaven, he said, let's face it, there's a lot of controversy about life and death. And sometimes religious leaders aren't much help. When Union Theological Seminary President Serene Jones was asked by a reporter, what happens when we die? Her first words were, I don't know. <laughs> don't go to that seminary. <laughs> they may be, there may be something she said. There may be nothing. You ask a cross-section of Americans the same question, and one out of six will shrug their shoulders, writes Strobel. They have no idea what occurs after death. Only a slim majority, 54%, believe they will end up in heaven. I think that's probably higher. Most people I talk to think they're in. Why? Because I'm a good person. Good people, don't, good people don't go to heaven, as we define it in the human family. For as for atheists, I suspect many of them think about death more frequently than some of them admit. For example, one atheist told the Atlantic magazine, death affects me in a profound way. Even high academic academics like Bart Ehrman, the agnostic New Testament scholar, once conceded the fear of death gripped me for years. And there are still moments when I wake up in a cold sweat. One honest man said, on his deathbed when asked by a friend who was visiting him. He's, his friend said, what's it like to die? He says, I don't know. I really don't know. Sometimes it seems like some blackness coming toward me and I sometimes, sometimes it doesn't feel like anything. He was honest 
But there's a hope for the people of God. There's a hope for you in Christ. That to die is to be with him. And the full-orbed picture of the Christian life is that we will have one day resurrection bodies. Amen. To live with him forever and ever and ever. I contrasted um, the comments I just re referenced with the statement of, by D.L. Moody, who died in 1899 and was a simple man, sixth grade education, um, but God gripped him he, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He was an evangelist in America, uh, and he went to Britain, and thousands were saved through his ministry. And he gave his whole life to serve the Lord. And on his deathbed, he said, is this dying? Why, this is bliss. Earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling. I must go. I must go. So this Christmas season, would you receive the gift of God? Would you receive the gift of eternal life? Not to add on to a resume of other things that you've tried to tweak your life as the saving message of your life. That as a sinner before God, I need a savior and that savior is Jesus. Would you receive the gift of eternal life? Would you give yourself to Christ? Would you give your best to Christ? Would you give your all to him as we adore him as our sovereign king? Would you? Would you give your best to him, your all to him? After all, isn't that what he gave for us? Amen. As he suffered and bled and died, that we might live abundantly and forever. You will live in one of two places forever. The Bible says that over and over and over again. Come to Christ that you might live. Would you bow with me in prayer as we come to this end, end of this service? We have a life to live, a death to die, and a judgment to face, and Jesus Christ is our hope as we face all of these things. This morning we haven't come to embrace novelty, but to come to the meaning that Christ came and that is that we would have eternal life. And it works out in how we live now and the call to respond to this great gospel is now. Father in heaven, I pray that in the closing moments of this service that you would be moving in every heart, every life, that we would remember only one life and soon will be passed and only what is done for Christ will last. Do a work in us today, in Jesus' name, amen.